Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse. This is Golf Monthly's weekly podcast uh, in which we take a look at various events that are, are taking place in the world of golf. And this week I am joined by Nick Bonfield. Nick, hi, how are you? Hello Neil, very well, thank you. Uh, had a good weekend? Excellent, thanks yourself. Uh, not bad, did you watch much of the golf? I did indeed, yes. Good, so you'll December have... December is wet, wet and windy outside, so what else are you going to do? Um, Christmas shopping? Uh, yes, next week. <laughs> uh, if I was a member of your family I'd be a little bit worried about that but anyway uh, and Tom Carr Tom hi how are you I'm very well yourself yes good thank you and we have a list of topics that we're going to get through in today's podcast and at the top of that list is the Ned Bank because the Ned Bank was uh, a big tournament last year for Danny Willett it was a real springboard for his year this year where, that saw him finish second on the on the race to Dubai and um, yesterday saw Mark Leishman take the Ned Bank Challenge, uh, what used to be called the Million Dollar Challenge, the sort of Sun City one, uh, down in South Africa where he beat um, Henrik Stenson into second. Uh, Nick, what was your take on Mark Leishman's performance this week? A oh, very commanding performance, especially on the final day when he had Stenson breathing down his neck and just blew the field away with some exceptional play. Um, great driving display, uh, great distance control on his irons. He looks the real deal, Mark has. Uh, we surged onto the scene with with that good performance in the Masters. Obviously, he was in the Open playoff this year, so he's coming along nicely. Um, what could end to what's been a really tricky year for him with family issues with his wife, um, who was very, very ill early in this year, and he was actually considering life without playing professional golf going forward. Is that right? So he, she was ill, was it not during the had, Masters that he had to pull out? It was an ongoing thing. She, has, she had something like toxic shock syndrome, and it's a very serious condition, and I believe there were times where it looked like she might not make it. Oh, well, so, so what a good cap to the year for Mark. And his uncle also died this year, and who he was very close to, so that's taken him away from uh, fr- from his t- um, his sort of game on the golf course, really. But he did finish uh, in that playoff. He was in that playoff for the Open, and really, I think he will look back at this year and think that this was the year that maybe he could have picked up a major because he was very much in the driving seat halfway through that final round of the Open. Do you think he's a player that can go on and, and win a major, Nick, or do you think? Um, He's not quite at the sort of world challenging level. No, I, th- I think that he's a major is certainly within within his grasp. But look at how he's played twice at the Masters now. He's really been contended at uh, been in contention. Sorry, and when you look at him when he's in contention, he's very aggressive and he doesn't back off, which I think uh, will stand him in good stead if he finds himself in that position again going forward. A very very good driver of the golf ball, long and straight. And when he gets on a roll on the greens, he's a very dangerous competitor. So. Certainly wouldn't rule out some major success in his career going forward. And Tom, uh, what did you make of Henrik Stenson's performance this week? Because he's had a, I don't know how how would you how would you characterise his year? Has it been a good one for him? He he really should be someone who's who's winning majors now. He, he's gone through another year without winning one, but there's been a reasonable amount of success elsewhere. What what do you think he'll be thinking about his 2015 season or 2015 year calendar year as he looks back? Well, it was another good year for him, nowhere near as good as um, 2014 where he absolutely went ballistic at the end of the season and won everything. Um, why has he not won another major yet? That's the big question because he's got everything, he hits the ball absolutely ridiculous on distance and also his short game is really, really quality when he's on the game. He just doesn't seem to be able to do it in the, in the majors for whatever reason. I mean this weekend just gone, I mean I know he... he it was reasonably exciting. He had a chip in every now and then and stuff like that. <laughs> reasonably I mean, exciting. I mean, it was pretty good, but I mean, Leishman actually blew them away, let's face it. And if it hadn't been Henrik Stenson uh, in second place, I don't think they would have shown anybody else, really. So I always take these end of season results with a slight pinch of salt because they're not the biggest fields. Um, 
the pressure's not really on. Although there's a lot no. of money be, to be played for, but no, a lot of these the guys have got a huge. Yeah, they've got. They've already got enough money. So, yeah, I mean, Stenson. I hope he does play. I hope he does get made because you think if he gets one major, then he could get loads. But it just seems to be one of those ones like Westwood and Donald. Why have they not won yet? Uh, but one thing I would say about Stenson is that he's at least he's challenged for majors in the last few years. When when Luke Donald was world number one, I don't think that's something you could really say about Luke. I can't just off the top of my head can't think of a time where he's really come within touching distance of a major. But you look at Rory's win at the US PGA. Last year, 2014, and Henrik was very close to that, and he has been there or thereabouts a few times. He has, but look at how he fared on the back nine of Valhalla. He realised he was in contention seemingly, and then started spraying it all over the golf course. So oh, I think harsh, harsh. But if you look back at the, at the tape, you'll see that. Happen. So do you think he hasn't got the nerve? I think it's, it's, it's got to be mental with these guys. Donald, I think he played in the final group with Rose when he won the US Open and completely combusted then. He, he I, from what I can remember, he hit a member of the crowd on one of the early holes, didn't he? And I think that shook him I up a little bit. I think he ended up in some creek on the first par five and yeah. took a double somewhere and then that was just his race run. Um, so I think you've got to set his mental at this point, haven't you? Because he's got the ability. I'd, I'd agree with that because if you look at when Stenson wins, he usually gets in the lead and then just goes away from the field. If you look when he won at Sawgrass a few years ago and all his you know, decent performances and in the, the Middle East and stuff like that. You know, he usually just absolutely flies away from everybody, but when it gets to majors, it just doesn't seem to quite, quite do that. He must be mental, really, so... He was right in that PJ, and he was possibly even leading at one point, and when Macro was Oh, yeah, he was leading, yeah. Yeah, and he just blew up on the back nine, oh. specifically over the last couple of holes, and he looked visibly nervous, and his body language wasn't good. I think that says a lot. God, yeah, that's a man who's won the FedEx Cup, so it does show you that there is a big step up to win yeah. it. This year he could win four majors at the Olympics and uh, lead Europe to the Ryder Cup, so fingers crossed. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> and one other, I think, a notable performance uh, at the Ned Bank that's worth mentioning before we move on is Chris Wood, who finished third. And he, he could be a player a little bit like Danny Willett. He has that, that kind of big game mentality, that one that suggests that he is capable of turning up to the biggest tournaments. He's finished second in the Open, he did well at this year's BMW PGA, um, and he, he, he looks as if he's injury-free now and, and, and onto possibly what could be a good run into the start of 2016. Do you think any calls for Chris Wood to be somebody to look out for in 2016, or am I getting my hopes up suggesting that idea? I, I think he's... Certainly, someone you can't discount because he's he's I mean, he's one on the tour. Um, anyone who's played one on the tour has done well. But he's also had yeah, as you mentioned in the Open, he's had a, he's had a really good record at the Open if you look back. Um, also, he loves playing these team events. Um, playing the Seve Trophy a few years ago when Rory played in the Seve Trophy, so he wants to get involved in it. He's not he's not frightened about coming forward and put himself. You know, up for these these big team events. So he's definitely someone that could, you know, even make it in the run cup if he has a really good year. But he has to do that. He can't. This year, everyone's going to be flying for it. Everyone's going to be playing these big events. So you know, if you're there, you've got to get it finished. And Nick, what 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 would Chris Wood need to do better in order to get himself into the mix to get onto that Ryder Cup team? What does he need to do that he isn't currently? Uh, he needs to drive the ball better, more consistently. Right. Again, yeah. this is the part of the show where I say I actually spoke to Chris Wood recently, <laughs> and he said that he's struggled with his driving recently. It's been something that he's struggled with throughout the course of his career. He actually says that his long arms make it quite difficult for him to drive the ball, which is interesting because that's often touted as a as a bonus for a lot of people to have those levers. But he said he struggles with that. 
So he sorts that out. And he drives well, sorts out his arms. Sorts out, his, <laughs> <laughs> sorts out his driving. Right, okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so if he, if he drives the ball better and more consistently, he's got a chance. I think he needs to win a big event, have a second or a third in a, a World Golf Championship or a major, and then have a bunch of other top tens. As Tom just alluded to there, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult to, to force your way into that side, so you're going to have to raise your level to, to really have a chance of getting into the team. Yeah, well, fingers crossed for Chris Wood because... Uh, it would be another great young British guy to see come uh, through. Yeah, and another British guy who's played a lot of team golf in the amateur ranks. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and whilst the likes of Chris Wood and Henrik Stenson, Mark Leishman were, were playing in South Africa, most of the other world's top players were sunning themselves in the Bahamas. It looked like a very tricky week at the um, Hero World Challenge, uh, the event that is, is sort of hosted by Tiger Woods. Um, and in the end, it was Bubba Watson, a sort of slightly forgotten man this year. I know Bubba's had his successes this year, but coming off the back of the uh, 2014 where he won at Augusta um, and had had a very strong year, this probably wasn't the year that Bubba was looking for. Um, what did you make, Nick, of his of his performance out there? Yeah, obviously he played very well and drove the ball incredibly well, but to be brutally honest with you, I didn't find it that intriguing, the event. Um, there was just no intensity there for me. Everyone was on a jolly in the Bahamas. It was a great golf course for Bubba as well, because he could just smash it anywhere, wide open fairways. And it was tailor made for him, and he obviously played well in a very high quality field, but I think you really need that pressure, something to be on the line for it to be classed as a very good victory, and, and that was lacking there. But this time last year, Jordan Spieth had won the Australian Open, then went to the, the World Challenge and won there as well. So back-to-back wins, and that was definitely, in the same way that the Ned Bank was for Danny Willett, this was Jordan Spieth's um, springboard into 2015. Do you think it could prove the same for Bubba? Or do you think Bubba, the normal rules don't apply to Bubba, should we say? It's hard to see. He wakes up on one day and gets out of bed on this left side and, and produces some brilliant golf, and the next day he's completely lost it mentally and he's all over the place. And, and he, he has issues with... I think his mind, uh, sometimes he's on it mentally and very confident and sometimes he struggles, like for example at the Open, he just can't seem to get his head around playing the Open and he, he admits as much in his, in his pre-tournament press conferences. He's just an enigma, Bubba, isn't he? And he's hard to predict, but when he does bring his best and when he's on the golf course that suits him, when he can really open his shoulders and manoeuvre the ball, that he is undoubtedly one of the finest players in the world. Um, Tommy, you're a fan of Bubba, do you like to watch him play golf? Um, Yes, absolutely. He's brilliant. Um, I love it. Um, I remember sitting on the first tee at Celtic Manor, watching him tee off, and I'd never seen him play right up. Why well, can't I think? I don't think he's uh, played in the Wales Open, but I'm not sure. Well, you never know. I don't know. But being behind him and sit, everyone else has hit their tee shots, and they're pretty straight down the middle. And then he set his arm up 50 yards right of the fairway, and I went, ooh, and then he came back, and it was miles down there, in the middle of the fairway, and it, it just, just excites the crowd. You know, you see what he did at the, the last World Cup, getting the, the crowd behind him and stuff like that. It's, it's brilliant to watch, and he's one of those guys where, again, if, he, if he's on you know, the headlines of the world game, then golf's probably in a better place for it. He's a character, and his game is just ridiculous. And when he's on song, he's, he's amazing. I actually think out of that... Uh, yeah, the wheelbarrow to Bahamas classic. Um, the person to really look out of it for was Patrick Reed because Patrick Reed has had a, a really quite decent end to the season. Yes, he came second. He lost by three shots, but he's been one of those ones who's just been getting a little bit more consistent. Again, going into Ryder Cup year, he knows he wants to be there again because he was the he was the the guy that the Americans could really get behind. Um, and I just wonder if it's going to be uh, 2016 is going to be his year actually. Well, that's very interesting you should say because 
Uh, he certainly has a lot of golf game. He has a hell of a lot of confidence. I mean, we saw that when he said he, he, he saw himself as a world top five player when he won his first WGC event. Um, and at last year's Ryder Cup, the, the performance that he put in there was absolutely spectacular. Nick, do you think Patrick Reed has it all? Is he the complete package now? Is he somebody that could go on and have a Jordan Spieth style year? Or is he somewhere away from that level? I don't think he's too far off that level. I mean, he's not really like comparing him with Speed. He doesn't do. He doesn't puff. With Speed, it's come down to his party and he's superhuman on the greens. And, and Reed isn't quite at that level, but he does everything well. And most importantly, and we talk about it all the time, is he's got that innate self confidence. And that is often the springboard to be very successful for these guys because he's got every drivable very well. He's really, really streaky on the greens when he gets going. And he believes in himself. And I really, really believe that he's a major champion and waiting. Absolutely. And I actually think he's another one. When we first saw him at the Ryder Cup, he was kind of brash American. He probably wasn't going to have got a lot of fans in Europe. But he's actually come over to Europe loads and played in lots of different events, much more than probably the top ten Americans out there. Um, I think actually a lot of the European guys really enjoy that and actually say, you know what, this guy, you know, he's, he's entertaining, he gives it out to the crowd, his golf's pretty decent as well, and actually he's supporting the European tour. So I think he'll actually get a lot of fans uh, from these shorts now. Yeah, he, he, he's he is, fiercely competitive as well. But I actually understand that off the course he's a very likeable character. So it's good for him, yeah. It's, it's great to see what he's been doing, coming over to support the European Tour. It's really added another dimension to the final series. And I'm a big fan of Reed, so fingers crossed. And I think where he has he set the... He set the bar, there will be others that will come over from the, the US, I'm sure. Um, and that was... That victory earned Bubba just over a million dollars. Uh, Mark Leishman earned a million dollars as well for his win. About Happy Christmas to both of them. Yes, yes. The, like to say Christmas card into the golf company office with a small check, impossible. <laughs> um, but there was one other event this week, and it was a new one. Uh, it's an Asian tour event, and it's called the Ho Tram Open. And they had some big names that they'd, they'd um, enlisted to play in this one, should we say. So Sergio Garcia was the winner. Um, they had Daniel Clark, Jeff Ogilvie, Thomas Bjorn was out there. Um, so a, a new event, event that's come onto the radar for all of us. Did what did you think of of Sergio's victory in Vietnam, Nick? What was your th- thought on that? I mean, is this again? Is this a, an opportunity for Sergio to spark something big for 2016? Yeah, I mean, you've got to say it, it gives him a good boost going into next year. But it was it was a classic Sergio performance. Um, Surges to the top of the leaderboard with some imperious ball striking and then has a bit of a wobble. And almost yeah, double bogey at 17 was the, yeah. the wobble you're talking about. Yeah, there. he reeled off five birdies in a row from about the sixth, of the, not the sixth, the fourth to turn in 29 or something like that. Yeah. And then he bogeys the par five tenth and then doubles the 17. But that's why we like Sergio, isn't it? We, you know, yeah, we like our like, golfers like to, to come with and rough edge. Back himself a little bit more and because he really hasn't got over the line as many times as he should have done. And he does falter quite often on Sundays, which is a concern. Uh, and he did fault it, ultimately he did win, fair play, but again it wasn't an event with the most pressure in the world, and he, he's made a bit of a habit of winning in December, I think he won the Thailand Open a couple of years ago, which again, good field, but it doesn't really matter in December, it is playing on the Asian Tour, it doesn't really count for much apart from the ticket of victory. Would, would, would you be surprised to see him win a major? Yes. I think I would at this stage of his career. Yeah, yeah if I'd asked you that question five years ago, maybe you'd have a different answer, yeah. but... What, what's concerning me a little bit is, in some of the interviews I've seen him give recently, his rhetoric is quite accepting of the fact that he's not won one, and I've had a great career and a good Ryder Cup career, but I don't ultimately win a major, which is a little bit concerning to hear him talking in those terms. 
I think you should still be desperate to get out there and win one. And I don't think the fire's quite there with Sergio. We know he struggles off the course at times. And he's a little bit fragile mentally. So I'd love to see him win one. And you think his talent is so good that he, he must win one eventually, but I'm not so sure. It's a, it's a, the same, he's in the same chapter as, as Henrik Stenson. Oh, I think that's harsh. I think Sergio's been scarred. He, he has some... Some major baggage, so he said. Well, yeah, he's got some. Yeah, but he hasn't won. He hasn't won it. It's in the same. It's in the same locker. I agree, but whilst he might have, um, whilst Stenson is going into the the year fairly fresh in terms of what he has in his past, Sergio is carrying so much sort of mental scarring from majors that he's come close to, but either thrown away or just lost at the last uh, second. It, it, that could be his biggest challenge. Yeah, but when you think about when he first. Came on the scene, we finished second to Tiger all those years ago, whenever it was, um, at the USPGA, I think it was. Yeah. And um, if you look back there and you said, okay, 20 years' time or whatever, he will not have won a major, no one would have believed you. And he's won everything else. He's won a WGC, for goodness sake, um, and all these other bits. He's been the talisman of the European Ryder Cup t- team on several occasions. Why is he not won? <laughs> you know, why, why is he not backing himself? It's, it's, know, it's crazy. It's a self-confidence issue. But when he came out, he was raw and he was exciting to watch. And I think he's lost that over the years. Yeah. He, I don't consider him to be one of the most exciting players to watch on tour anymore. He doesn't really have that flair. He's he doesn't need to. He drives it miles down the middle of the fairway, puts it to 10 foot and misses the birdie putt. He does that on every single hole. And that's not exciting I'm because like, he is, yeah. his ball striking is still ridiculous. That's not exciting. Exciting players is someone like Sebi who misses the fairway, recovers, and then makes an incredible putt. You think, "Wow, what an exciting player!" But you know these ones who are just you know so steady. Why? Why is he not won? It doesn't I make think, any sense. I think he needs to be more aggressive. Um, he's very conservative off the tee. I remember in the Players' Championship this year, in the playoff, he hit three with down eighteen and left himself a long way behind the other two. And it was the same with when he lost. Very questionable strategy and. Over the years, that's been diminished, his player and his excitement, and I'm not really sure why, and it's hard to account for. Yeah. That's why I don't think he'll... He's not very really good at grasping the opportunity. He lets a lot slip away, and then maybe because that's, that's because he's fragile mentally. Maybe that self-belief isn't there, as it is for someone like a Patrick Reed. Who knows, but, yeah. As, as Tom was saying, when he came out, was it Medina? When, yes. Yeah. yeah. He, was, he looked at him and thought, oh, this guy's going to win five to ten majors. He's brilliant, he's exciting, he's got flair, he's got the whole package. And he's just, I find him a touch dull to watch these days. Possibly harsh, but that's just the way No, I, I think you're probably right. He certainly takes his time on the greens now, and he, he's lost that kind of bounce in his, in his step as he gets around the golf course. But having said that, if he did manage to get across the line and win a major, it would be a fantastic yeah. story. And you would see the likes of us at Golf Monthly... Um, you know, really cover that in, in great detail because it would be one of the great stories in the game. Well, I think that's one of the most frustrating things. Sergio has probably more fans in the European Tour than more, almost any other golfer. Um, so many people want him doing, they're willing him doing. And when they get these almost negative comments in press, press conferences and stuff like that, it just gets a bit frustrating. It's like if you, it's your football team and your manager comes out and is very, very negative. Like, well, come on, hang on a minute. We've got all these people backing you. Come on, let's yeah, go back for yourself. It. You're yeah. a class act. Back yourself. I remember being a little bit unkind because he actually put a very good performance at Royal Liverpool in 2014, and he was, I think, six under for his round at one point. Just Rory took it away from him there. But I think if we're going to see him in a major, it'll be open. 
he seems to consistently contend there. He's he's got the ball striking ability and the manoeuvrability to do very well there. Yeah, so I would I would agree. And, with that. and obviously he does harness the crowd support uh, at the Open. He's obviously very popular, as Tom said. So it will be the Open, I think, if anything. Okay, well that brings us seamlessly on to talk about the Eurasia Cup, which God, Nick, sorry, sorry waving at me waving here, just, just just written down something to note. Oliver Wilson finished twenty first uh, at uh, Hotram, great, uh, which was his. <laughs> he's coming off the back of a European Tour season with sixteen missed cuts, where his best finish was tied for thirty fourth. So I just wanted to mention that, and we all wish Ollie well because he's, he's very popular with the media and he's a nice bloke. So fingers crossed, this is the springboard he needs for twenty sixteen. No, I would agree. I think the way he did that was slightly random, but yes, I would agree <laughs> that uh, we would all wish Ollie well. He, his, yeah, he had a fantastic story, didn't he, when he won the, the, the Dunhill, and we, and we wish him well. But as I said before, we are going to talk about the Eurasia Cup, which is Europe versus Asia. Uh, Darren Clark is one captain. Uh, Jeeve Milkersing is the other captain. Good knowledge, good knowledge. Thank you, yes, thank you. Um, not something I pride myself on, actually, <laughs> my uh, instinctive knowledge, but I did know that one. Um, guys, is this a tournament of any particular... No, I know that it will be quoted a lot when it comes into looking at who is, who is picked for the Ryder Cup team uh, in 2016, but genuinely, does it make any difference? Yeah, well, I think it does, and there's a couple of couple of things. Firstly, is Darren Clark is the captain, so obviously we, he's only he's just done his two picks, and his two picks for the Asia Cup are Ian Poulter and Lee Westwood, and we do wonder if Ian Poulter and Lee Westwood do not qualify for the Ryder Cup uh, automatically, are they going to get those picks? Because not only are they very good players and have been in lots of European Ryder Cup teams and had lots of success, but they're also very very good mates with Darren Clark. And well, be that as it may, they would have earned those picks, surely. I mean, no one's uh, I mean, well, they may, here's where my knowledge could, could let me down, but no one is, uh, has contributed more, or I don't know how to say this, but Lee Weston's done very well at the Ryder Cup. Yeah, of course they have, they, and they've done brilliantly, and you think of all the success that we've been lucky enough to see over the last decade or whatever, it's been on the back of, of those two guys, really. Um, I mean, there's obviously been loads of other people who played really well. Roy's been amazing the last few years. But you look at Ian Poulter, man, um, the amount of uh, coverage that he gets whenever the Ryder Cup's had. You couldn't imagine him not being there, but it could happen if he's not playing well enough. And it's, it means a lot, I think, that they are putting their hands up and saying, please, can we go and play in this event, which I'm sure they would not have done the last few occasions because they really want to show, especially to Darren, and say, look, we will be there for you, whether it's in the Rage Cup or it's the Ryder Cup. Yeah, a fair comment. Yeah, it's the age-old debate of experience over form, isn't it? And looking back to 2014, Polter actually didn't contribute a great deal. I think this would have been a great opportunity to see a lot of the guys who might make the team in action in a competitive match play environment. I think he's almost missed a trick here by selecting Polter and Westwood. We all know what they can offer. We all know they've got experience. But, but now we know that they're committed, which is something that you may, as Tom was saying, you would have questioned before. Now that you know that they're committed to making that side, does that not make a difference? Does it show they're committed? Well, yeah, they'll play in the Eurasia Cup, I think. Yeah, I imagine the backlash and they, they turn down the, you know, the invitation to play. I don't think it says they're committed necessarily. I would assume that there's probably some conversations gone, happened in the background here. And, you know, I think he would have checked, but I don't think they would have turned down the captain's pick. 
So who would you have picked then, Nick, given that you wouldn't have chosen Lee Westwood and Ian Poulter? That sort of set yourself up there for Someone a... Someone like a, a Thomas Peters or an Alex Levy, one of these guys... Oh, the two that you selected yeah, as your wildcard picks last week. Yeah, the guys who were on the fringes. Uh, check out last week's podcast for more details on that one. Um, <laughs> it does not make sense to see some of these guys in a competitive match play environment who we haven't seen there before. I think it probably does. I think it's a good opportunity, and I think it's an opportunity But if it's not in the same intensity of the Ryder Cup, and let's face it, the Eurasia Cup is not going to have anywhere near the same intensity. Are you really going to learn anything valuable? That would be a question worth asking. And also, I think you look at the actual the makeup of that Eurasia Cup team, there's eight people there who have not played in the Ryder Cup before, and they're all good youngsters, from the likes of Broberg and Fitzpatrick, Sullivan, Willett, Wood, Kelson, Lowry... Tom's reading well off his list there. Oh, that's good, yeah. Um, no, those guys, so there's, actually, there's eight people who actually probably needed a bit of uh, yeah, seniority in there to, enough, to have a bit of balance, to be quite honest. Fair enough, you see my point, though. Um, yes, just. Um, okay, well, that's the Eurasia Cup, and um, it will be something that we will cover in a future podcast. But for now, um, just want to move on to our final topic. And in the run-up to Christmas, we're going to look back at 2015 and some of the players who have really shone. Um, and it seems only right and fitting that we should start with Jordan Spieth. Um, this time last year, or should I say, just before he won the Australian Open last year, Jordan Spieth was number 14 in the world. He's now um, confirmed himself as number one going into the, the Christmas period, so he will be number one um, at the start of the 2016 calendar year. And it's been an absolutely meteoric rise because as soon as he started winning those tournaments in Australia, he has hardly finished outside the top ten. I mean, the, the results speak for themselves. He's had... Uh, five wins, four seconds, 15 top tens. He's earned 12 million US dollars this year. It's an ex- extraordinary achievement for a man who was um, on the fringes of breaking through, but very much he, he hadn't broken through this time last year. Um, what do you expect from Jordan Spieth going forward? Can he keep this up? It has been an absolutely incredible year. Can he carry on that sort of form with that many top tens, that many um, winners' checks going forward? I think it hinges on his passing. And maybe we can part as well as he did this year. Because whilst you look at Rory driving, day driving, there's nothing remarkable about speed from T to green, I wouldn't say. Gets it done the greens, and it's whether he can maintain that level. Um, I think that it will be a slightly less successful year next year. That is, sorry, sorry, that is... Saying he's had a slightly less successful year. He won't win more than one major, and I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't win one major at all. Okay. How about that? Because it was a superhuman effort on the greens this year, and I just don't think he will hit that level as often as he did this year in 2016. But what do I know? Well, that's a point. And it's the stuff he's doing with his swing plane at the moment is a bit concerning. I don't really know why he's tweaking that. Well, you just said that he doesn't do anything particularly spectacular, so maybe that's but where he does it feels solidly. Solid. He does it effectively. But if you look at his skill set, that's the area where he can improve, right? Why tinker? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's, I think that's a fair point, actually, Nick. Um, yeah. <laughs> we've looked at other major champions, like if you look back at Harrington, who you know, suddenly won three majors and decided he's going to completely change his swing, and everyone said, What on earth are you doing? And he hasn't really ever been back to that level. Probably won't ever get back to that level. So I think that's a fair point. Um, I think you've got to give the guy a little bit of recognition, though, actually, um, for how good a year he's had. Just because it gets to Christmas and New Year, I don't think someone just suddenly stops becoming an absolutely incredible player. 
as I never said, when he when he won the Australian Open and then won the Hero World Challenge by such a distance last year, everybody started talking about him. That was pre Masters. That was pre anything. And you look at if you look at the Fantasy League before the Masters, the week so the Golf Monthly Fantasy League, which I didn't pick George Spieth, and I didn't have him as captain. <laughs> horrendous error. But everybody, I think of how many people did have that, which was a huge amount of people. People were talking about him way before his first major, saying, was he going to get it done? And that first round, Nick, I remember this very, very vividly. Oh, Tom's pointing at Nick. I am pointing, this is getting quite aggressive. The first round, when Spieth hit that, I don't know what he shot, 66 in the first round of the, the Masters? Why not? Something like that. And you looked at me and said, Speed has ruined the Masters for you. Because he's already, you'd already consigned yourself that he's already going to run away with it and win it. And do you know what? He did do that. And that was before he won a major. So you've got to remember that. Go back to that. Oh, no, I don't forget, forget that. It's a class, class act. But there's two areas of strength. Mental, putting. And I'm just saying, I don't think he'll have as good a putting year next year. And the margins are so fine in this game that that result could be him not winning a major championship. The, the operative word here being could. I see day winning the, the Masters. I see someone like a Sergio or someone like a Rose or someone like that taking the Open, and I think it's going to be tricky for Spieth to, to, to get it done. Rory McIlroy might do something amazing, surely. Yeah, yeah of course, him too. Um, one thing I, I think is worth mentioning is that the world's best players, people like Henrik Stenson, who granted hasn't won one, Bubba Watson, Rory McIlroy, are able to win majors when they're playing very well, and they go on these streaks, these bursts, where they not only win majors, they win every other tournament around them and look like the world's best player. But they do it for a certain period of time. Jordan Spieth has done this all year. He, wherever he's turned up, he's challenged. He won the FedEx Cup after such a long year where he'd performed um, so incredibly well. Um, do you think that, are you thinking that consistency is impossible to maintain? Or do you think that's his level now? He, he's going to be a world number one or there or thereabouts for the rest of his career? There is the question. I think what's remarkable for me about Speed is that you watch him and he's playing well, but he's really done nothing truly outstanding. He's just in the lead or just two shots off the lead. Like, hang on. Yeah. How's he there? He's been playing really well, he's been playing really well, he's been playing well. Speed, by his standards, hasn't been exceptional yet. He's always contending. Um, whether that's an exceptional year or whether that's level, his level, I don't know. I think you need two, three, four years to actually really establish what someone's level is. We've seen it countless times in the past. Golfers playing one season incredibly well and then going back to their normal level, their average level the following season, and then they almost disappear back to obscurity again. That won't happen with Speed. He's far too good. I'm just saying he might struggle to hit the heights of this year. We'll see. But he's got a very, very level head on his shoulders and a great support network behind him. And a great caddy as well. I mean, this year... In the, in the majors, speak on it, great timing. You know, he didn't hit the front, except for the Masters, really. The Masters, he, you know, he was, as I said, he was away from the start and he ran away with it, really. Um, the US Open, he was always there. He wasn't, he wasn't leading, really, until the last few holes. It was just great timing. He just stuck, it was stuck with there when he really needed to make either a really good putt or just you know, a good shot down the middle of the field on a tough hole, where others were leaking it right or left. I'm thinking of Brandon Grace here and, and things like that. Um, even at the Open, I mean, he missed out on the playoff by one shot, and he was, he was just, it was, and actually that was probably a missed putt on 17, where he, you know, which he should have, should have hold, really. Definitely. And you think if he got into that playoff, I would actually think he would have won it. So he was always there, and it's great. they're the, the, you know, when the players really 
the, 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 the best player in the world winning tournaments. tournament. They, they just make sure that they, they, they give themselves a chance. They don't have a destructive hole which can take them out. Definitely, you're spot on there. Uh, all the best players, they hang around and then they seem to make that play when they absolutely have to make the play. And the speed example was that in the 16th at the US Open, you hold about 20 footer to get into the lead. And, and then, then I remember the Open, was it the 16th again, where he holds something like a 40 footer? Mm. Yeah. It's, it's just, just he consistently seems to be able to pull out the shot when he needs to pull out And that's shot. what season major winners do, isn't it? It, it is. The, the, it's one thing, and it's very hard to do, but it's one thing winning a major by a long way, in the way that Rory did when he won his first US Open. It's another thing to be lurking on the leaderboard, and then as the, the, as the pressure mounts, just to make the right part at the right moment that puts you... That's what... That's what Tiger did for so many years. That's what the great players who've won multiple majors, that's what they've been able to do. And Spieth's name is starting to have a woods-like effect on leaderboards nowadays, just because it's so relentless. Well, that leads me on actually to my next question. So this time last year, after Rory had won the US PGA and he'd won back-to-back majors, um, some of the players went off in the off-season and started re-evaluating their own games and started to think maybe they needed to drive the ball better because that's how Rory was just dismantling golf courses. Um, if you were a... a a player who's you know, a sort of mid-ranking player going into the off-season, looking at the season that Jordan Spieth's had. Do you think players will re-evaluate themselves based on his success and maybe try and pick up on anything that he's done particularly well? Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe, but I think, I think there's, there's other people to look up to. Uh, I talk about Zach Johnson quite a lot, and I think a lot of people will analyse his performance at the Open and say, you know what, there's more than one way to skin the cat. So let's not lose sight of why I'm good and what's made me good in the first place. So, so what I'm saying is it wasn't a year where... Rory's performance in 2014 was such strong for one specific reason, his driving. You yeah, don't think yeah. players will be re-evaluating a specific part of their game based on what Jordan Spieth did this passing. year? Mid-range passing. That's where he really excelled for me. If you look at the top ten players in the world, or the top five, you look at the likes of Rory, Day, if you look at, OK, I'm going to not count Spieth here, Rory, Day, Bubba, Justin Rose... Stenson's number five. Stenson, thank you. They all hit the ball at the country mile, and I think that's the one thing which is making... You know, that's what wins them tournaments. If you smash it down the, the middle of the fairway, 30 yards every time, and you've got a wedge in your hand, then you're going to make more birdies, you're going to win more tournaments. So people are always going to look for more distance, um, however they do it. I know some people will probably come a cropper and actually forget how to, how to you know, get up and down from a bunker, something like that. Like Man of Yeah, exactly. But if they get it sorted, and I think these are the guys that then... Then step up. You've, You've got, got to be aware, aware that if you spend some more time in the off-season practicing that, then you're either going to need to find more time to practice to, to make sure that your level doesn't drop in your short game area, and that's just something that these guys have to be aware of, because the margins are so small, and that taking 10% and dedicating it elsewhere will mean that you're 10% worse off in another area, and it's that balance. Do I look at Jim Furyk? Do I look at... Jordan Spieth? Do I look at Zach Johnson and say, actually, you know what, let's work on the full package, or do I look at these bombers and say... I want more distance. However, if I want more distance, I have to be aware of the fact that other parts of my game might suffer. And it's all about balance. Yeah, I would also mention that Jordan Spieth is exactly an awful driver. No, no, no. He, no. I know he's not, he doesn't hit as far as Rory or Jason Day, but he's still pretty long. Yeah, he's what, I think he was in the 70s in total driving the season, so yeah, he still hits it a decent way. He hits it far enough. But just, it's just something these guys have to be aware of. It's analysing their own games, analysing where they get it done. And what strengths they have, and just not compromising those in search of something that is undoubtedly a help but might not be as important as a lot of people think it is. 
Okay, well, that, that brings us to the end of uh, this week's podcast. Thank you for listening. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what Golf Monthly are up to, uh, then please follow us on our various social media channels, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Keep an eye out for what we're doing. Uh, you'll get a pretty good gist of um, all the various different projects we're working on, um, and there are quite a few. So um, please do keep an eye out for that. But for now, for this week, it's goodbye. Goodbye.